spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples today. Welcome to Totally Lit, the podcast celebrating reading, writing and creating literature. I'm your host, Kai Garvey. Thank you for listening. This episode, I have the amazing Danny V with me to chat about her picture book, My Extraordinary Mum, published by Larrican House. It's out now and her Unlucky Dad 6 picture book series are coming out in 2023. Danny V is host of the popular literary podcast Words and Nerds with over 52,000 listeners every month and more than 500 episodes. The podcast has become a significant part of the Australian literary community. She has interviewed Matthew Riley, Trent Dalton, Jackie French, Tara Moss, Sandy Griffiths and many more. Danny also works in publicity and acquisitions at Larrican House. You can find her facilitating panels or presenting at literary festivals such as Somerset Story Fest, Bad Sydney Crime Writers Festival, Kids YA Festival and the Sutherland Shire Writers Festival, as well as podcasting at literary events. Danny loves nothing more than reading Oscar Wilde with a cup of chamomile tea and dark chocolate. I love all those things as well. I hope you enjoy our chat. Danny V, welcome to Totally Lit. Thank you for joining me. Despite jet lag. <laughs> Hi. Yes, despite jet lag. Um, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling today, but it is what it is. Well, thank you for making time for me and my listeners. You've got so much to share. Like, things are just going bonkers for you. Can you tell me about My Extraordinary Mum? Yeah, so it's my debut picture book, which came out in August, and... Um, yeah, it was kind of, I guess, born out of a couple of things. The first one is I just, you know, I love quirky stories that push boundaries that aren't sort of in existence. So I sort of thought that there was something a bit different about this story. Um, but a bit deeper than that, it also kind of derived from a conversation I had with my kids about sort of who I was before I had them and the things that I used to do and they couldn't believe it. And, you know, it wasn't two extraordinary things was like what most of us do you know go traveling on your own or you go bungee jumping or whatever and they sort of couldn't believe it because they just knew me as you know the sensible mum who tells them to you know brush their teeth every night and I've I realized how interesting it was to live with people so closely you basically sleep in the same bed so many nights for a decade and they don't really know you and so I thought well that's interesting what if we could start conversations where you know they could know you a little bit deeper and and the whole person not just the mother and then of course you know I'm always pushing back against the stereotypes of women and there seems to be this kind of narrative that when you're a mother you have to sort of put your identity aside and you're always just seen as a mother and nothing else and your identity kind of slips away. So that was even the third layer of this story that I, I wanted to really push back on and particularly, um, you know, a narrative that's close to my heart of being a single mother, ask anyone what that looks like or the words they think of when they think of a single mother and none of those words are complimentary. No. You know, I'm not going to feed into that narrative by repeating them, but they're never resourceful, independent, you know, all those things that you have to be when you're a single parent. They're always um, veered to all the negatives. So I thought if we could start those conversations and start trying to shift those narratives a bit as well as just having a bit of fun, I mean, 
That'd be great. <laughs> so that was the aim anyway. I don't know if I achieved all those things, but that was the aim. I was a single mum for 10 years and my partner and I had split up quite early when my son was very small and they, we were having a conversation one day and he suddenly went, you and dad were together, like boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. I'm like, yes. And then he laughed his head off because his <laughs> idea of me, he couldn't see us together because he had grown mm. up with us apart. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah. our, our children really don't know us sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah, they and, don't. They just accept accept their reality at the time and they don't have any scope beyond that. And I guess, you know, we all do that. You know, when we meet our grandparents, they're usually of a particular age and it's not till we become older that we become curious about who they were when they were younger too. You know, we just kind of accept who these people are at the time and, and sometimes we don't scratch the surface as much as we probably could or should. And so you've been – like I've been seeing you everywhere on social media. It looks like everybody's loving the book. Um, but also behind the scenes, you must be putting in a lot of work to promote and share the story out there. Have you got any tips for other picture book authors that are on the same journey as you about some of the, the ways you've been sharing your story? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great question because I think um, there's kind of the perception, I mean, I know I sort of may have had it beforehand before I had a bit of an insight into the industry that, you know, you just write this book and then magically it goes into bookshops and magically people buy it. And that would be great if that happened. And for some authors it does. I do the American House as well, behind the scenes in acquisitions and um, slush piles and publicity. And part of the criteria for signing people is not just a good story anymore. It's, well, like, what are you going to contribute to the promotion and the love of this book? And so I was really keen because I work in publicity, and it sounds horrible, but a lot of people these days, particularly media outlets, don't care that anyone's written a book. So they're certainly not going to care that a debut author's written a book. And so that's part of our criteria of when we sign. Yes, you've got a fabulous story, but what else can you do? Is there a parallel narrative that works with your story, like with Extraordinary Mum or Scott Stewart's phenomenally successful My Shadow is Pink? Is there that parallel story that's interesting? Because media outlets are interested in parallel narratives more than the book. <laughs> and so I just thought, you know, and I sort of took this from all the people that I'd interviewed um, and I saw Trent Dalton do this when he worked really hard with Boy Swallows Universe, that you just have to get out there and have conversations with everybody, you know, and he's huge as we know and he's sold a phenomenal amount of books, but he still, he still goes to little bookshops, big shops, little events, big events, you know, he'll talk on the podcast. So he just kind of does everything because I think you've just got to keep chipping away and that's what I think. You've just got to keep chipping away. Not everyone's going to love your book. That's okay. Books aren't for everyone. Specific books aren't for everyone. But do find, you know, mothers particularly who've picked up this book, they, it really resonates with them. So it's just about, I guess, connecting with as many people as you can. But as you know from the podcast, that's what we do as podcasters. We, you know, connect with people through literature. So it is a constant um, chipping away, I guess, and I'm always thinking about the next thing I can do. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's podcasts. That's sort of a no-brainer for us being podcasters. And then, you know, how then do I get articles into magazines like Mamma Mia and Ramona, a feminist magazine? And that was to really go that sort of motherhood feminist edge. So I wrote some articles about, you know, why single motherhood is a dirty word in our society and about, you know, single parenting and what that means in society. And that sort of 
garners a bit of interest because they're topical. So I think you just have to be creative and you have to be prepared to absolutely do the work. So you've you've put in some strategy and thought into the way you've been promoting your book. Yeah. Is that, that would be accurate to say in terms of... Um, because I've been seeing your articles and I'm like, oh, she's everywhere. That's amazing. Um, but I, I guess for me, um, I'd like to share with some with our listeners, especially those who might be first-time authors, about um, some tips that you might be able to share just to, to point them in the right direction when their own book is coming out. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I think start your spreadsheet early, like start at six months before your book comes out and just start collecting who might be interested in your book. So, you know, they're all obviously podcasts like us, but then go beyond that, you know, so I was going beyond that in terms of, you know, motherhood and feminism and single parenthood and all those other sort of parallel narratives around the picture book. So I started doing all of those things, started writing articles and just putting it out there, you know, as much as you could. And, you know, it it was helpful to have the platform Words and Nerds because people did know you, not everyone has that, but you've got to find, find your angle, you know, and find what works for you. So start that spreadsheet early, just... Email everybody. Not everyone's going to say yes, but that's okay. Keep track of who does and what's coming out and spread them out. And I think um, follow-up emails because I know from Words and Nerds, here's a tip that you probably get yourself. You get so many emails that sometimes you just forget to get back to some of them. And then someone will yes. send you another email going, just following up, and you're like, oh, yeah, I really actually wanted to talk to that author, but I just sort of got lost in the email trail. So I wouldn't pester, but I'd certainly send a follow-up email, a second one, and then, you know, that will be your answer. <laughs> the second email, I think, you know, they haven't forgotten you, they don't want you, that's okay, you just need to move on. And it's just about being creative, and whenever you see an opportunity, you have to take it. You know, if there's a festival Talk to the festival goers. How can you help? How can you volunteer um, on a podcast? Listen to the podcast and see what they do and what they need from their, their guests. You know, pitch yourself to that. You know, I find people pitch to the podcast, but they've never listened to the podcast. And you can tell when they're pitching mm. to you. It's like, oh, that's sort of not what I do. <laughs> and so do your research and, yeah, try and be everywhere. And it's a risk, you know, being everywhere because you could become – you know really annoying <laughs> and that's always been on my mind you know is it is it too much but I think if it's your book I think you just have to because not everyone's listening to every interview you do you know people will listen to one or two and then you'll go on another podcast and hopefully find a different audience and connect with new people so yeah it is you have to work really hard and you've got to be prepared to just you know I work full-time as well and I've got little kids and I do work for Larrikin House but I think it's if you love it you'll carve out the time to do it, you know, and, and, you, and you want to make it work. It's your debut book. You want this to sort of make some sort of a mark. So then you'll have a chance to publish another book, you know. So it's all about um, trying to do the best thing you can um, the first time around. And are you doing things like um, booking in with libraries and with bookshops and, and things like that as well to do appearances? Yeah, so, so I think the other thing is if you can from your publisher find out where the book's been distributed. So I have a list of where, you know, who's picked up my book. I also sent out, because um, this is the sort of a in, industry insight as well, is that you've got the distributor who goes into bookshops they get shown more books than they can ever buy. And if they don't know who you are, they're going to flick to who they do know or the books they have heard. So it's almost important for bookshops to know who you are before the distributor gets to them. And so I sent out just right. these little packages 
it wasn't anything huge. It was a bookmark, a postcard that said, thank you for loving books and a tea bag. And I, I sent that out to probably 200 bookshops around Australia. And I just, I just did it. And so by the time the distributor came around, they've at least seen the cover. They were familiar with that. I gave them the link to the podcast. They knew I existed. And so whether they bought it or not, um, they did have pause and go, oh, yeah, I've seen that before because, you know, they've only got a certain amount of picture books they can buy. And if they don't know you from anything, they may not look at your book because I hear they have about 20 seconds to look at the book. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I found this really tricky as well, and that's why you have to start your publicity so early is because when you have your – um, advanced information sheet that goes out to bookshops and they they want to know the publicity you've done and that's mm. three months in and how mo- most people haven't done any publicity because the book hasn't come out yet so you really need to be organized in in saying oh i've lined up all these interviews so on your ai sheet you can you know sort of say i have been on the radio or i'm booked in to go on abc or i'm doing this podcast etc etc because bookshops are really interested in how the book's being promoted, and particularly if you're a children's author, bookshops and booksellers are really interested if you're going into schools and selling books because going into schools helps sell books Mm -hmm. as well. It is an industry. It's a business. People need to make money. And so, you know, besides the creative part that we all love, we have to see it as a business. And so I think you have to be really strategic in thinking about how can I be known um, and I've lined up, you know, I go into bookshops and it's a bit intimidating because you think maybe they don't care that I'm in their bookshop, but I've had really good experiences and I just go in and I'm like, oh, hey, thank you. I've seen you've got my book on your shelf. Would you like me to sign it? Um, no one said no yet. I'm waiting for the day they do and I'll be like, okay, thanks, bye. Oh, my God. I love <laughs> the video of you. I think it's for Booktopia where you're signing all the books. In It's in like stop motion, like really yeah. fast. I love that yeah. video so much. I'm that like, was, look at Danny go. Oh, that was so overwhelming. It was what we've been talking about. You know, I don't want to call it a grind, but it kind of is because it's on my mind all the time. What else can I do? Where should I be? What bookshop should I be at next? Um, you know, how can I promote the book without being annoying? All those kind of things are always in my head 24 hours a day, I think. And going into Booktopia and just seeing 250 of my books lined up on the table, I was able to pause for 10 seconds and go, oh, my God, like, and celebrate, you know, sort of the achievement because I think you just get put your head down and you work, 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 work. So it was a really nice opportunity to just go, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> so. so now you've written My Extraordinary Mum, but now there's Unlucky Dad coming soon as well. Can you tell me about – and it's a series, which is exciting. <laughs> It is. Well, the first thing I should tell you about Unlucky Dad is he's now been changed to my epic dad. And I realised that my website wasn't updated oh. today. So I need to go and do I've that. been Googling today. <laughs> uh, so I like that because that matches my yeah. story. Mom. So it was interesting. I'll tell you how all this came about. So publisher James, he said, I've got this idea. I've always wanted this great optimistic dad, but everything goes wrong for him. And I said, oh, that's really funny. I'd like to give that a crack. And I went back to my own childhood where, you know, my dad did every single sport and went water skiing and played soccer and did all these things, continuous still does, even though he's nearly 70. And um, he just recently broke a rib because he took my kids roller skating. So he never stopped. So, and I thought, well, I've spent a lot of my childhood watching my dad get, you know, his knees 
put back in their socket, etc. So I thought I could draw on some of my own experiences, you know, with my um, my dad. And so it was really important for me, though, to create an optimistic, engaged, fantastic dad because I hate the whole stereotype of the hopeless dad. Like, I think that's been done, you know. We've all seen Homer Simpson. Um, so I wanted him to be really extraordinary, if you like, but the world is just against him because it's funny. But no matter what the world throws at him, he's always gets back up again and does it again and it's completely positive, you know. He's got a, a boar chasing it. after him and he it. falls in a wombat hole and he's got leeches stuck to his ears, but he still lets go, kids. You know, let's keep going on this adventure. And so it was really funny that um, it was about to go to print and I just thought, I feel like Unlucky Dad, the title of it, is really getting in the way of who this dad is. Because I thought if, if people just think he's unlucky, you know, they might see that it's a bit negative and they might sort of misconstrue that he's a bit hopeless. So it was so funny. I I think it was a couple of days before I went to print. I just said, I've got to tell you something. <laughs> I spoke to James. I thought, you may not. You may think this is a crazy idea, but I've just got this gut feeling that it's not right. And I'd ask some of my trusted author friends what they thought as well, and they sort of agreed with me. And so I I put forth a good argument, and um, we thought not only would it give this dad sort of the personality that he actually had and and give more credit to him, it really does work with my extraordinary mum. You know, and I thought, I can't have an extraordinary mum and unlucky dad. (laughs) They've both got to be amazing, you know. Just like there is, like, stereotypes about being a single mum, there is kind of that stereotype of the, like, goofy dad that Mm. um, is always getting Mm. it wrong. And Um, that's not this dad, you know, and that's why I thought I think the title is going to misconstrue that because this dad is the most optimistic person. And I can relate to that, you know, um, everything can go wrong, but you'll still be like, no, 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 we can do this. You know, and I love that kind of optimism and I think kids need that kind of optimism, particularly after the couple Mm. of years they've just come out of. So, yeah, that's coming out in January. I I think it's an amazing um, quality to have as well if you can dust yourself off and get back up again. Yeah, Yeah. resilience. And keep going, you know. Um, Amazing. Now I'm going to move on to crime fiction with you because you've got something coming out crime related this year yeah so i've been trying to sort of break into crime just because i love reading it so much it doesn't always necessarily mean you can write it It it's quite hard actually (laughs) i'm not sure that's not a surprise so the first one that i completed i sent off to harper collins banjo and anna valdinger rang me very apologetically and said oh you didn't make the shortlist but you came fourth and i was stoked i was like don't be sorry this is is amazing so she asked me to rewrite it i did I don't think that's going anywhere. It's been quite a while now, and I know how busy publishers are. But it was a really kind of great feedback for me to go, okay, it didn't suck completely. I just need to put some more work in and maybe write another one, you know, because I think that's that's what we do. We just keep writing, and hopefully we get better and better. And then Craig Sisterson, crime writer, he is working um, to put together an anthology of short crime stories, and so he asked me to put one mm-hmm. together, so I did that. So hopefully that will be out maybe next year. And, um, yeah, and just suddenly I've just been inspired again because it's very hard, I think, with crime to come up with ideas. And I suddenly just Mm. got these two ideas which I thought, yeah, this is what I've been waiting for, these ideas to emerge in my brain. And so, yeah, I've gotten back into trying to give crime a crack. So I don't know what what that's going to look like or if it's ever going to get off the ground, but it's something that I love doing something that I'll probably keep doing whether they get published or not because of my love of crime. 
So I guess it's a kind of watch this space thing, which I kind of like talking about these things because I think a lot of people see you and your shiny book out in the bookshop and think, oh, it's just, it's so easy. Now that you've got one publishing deal, you can get as many publishing deals as you like till you die. And, you know, as an author, we know that's not true. (laughs) We know you get one and you celebrate, but that's no guarantee you're ever going to get another one. So I don't mind talking about, you know, the achievements of, the picture books that I've got, but then, you know, the challenges that I'm faced with the crime that, you know, I may never see. But like my epic dad, I'm just going to keep on keeping on and see what happens. (laughs) Well, what I've learnt as I've been going to conferences and writing events and and meeting established authors is that that even though you may have a body of work um, published you've still got to keep working um, mm. and submitting and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so it never ends. But never ends. But it is good <laughs> to know, like, that everybody is still working on their craft and, and still there, there's still that element of even though you've, you might feel like you've got one published book, there's still more work to do, um, which mm. <laughs> feels overwhelming sometimes. Uh, yeah, it is. But I think respecting the craft is so important. And I, I do a lot of the culling, the slush pile for the publisher, James, and I'll, you know, delete or put in a folder of what I think he'll he'll enjoy or like. And it really is for me so much of it is about respecting the craft. You know, like if I can see that you have put your heart, your soul, your thoughts into this manuscript, you know, I'll give it the time that it deserves. But I feel like um, there is perhaps a tendency out there that a picture book can be written in an hour whilst watching the TV because it's only 500 words. But, in fact, picture books are quite difficult to write because every word counts. And so for me, if you're you're respecting the craft, I think that's really important and always trying to hone your craft. And even when you speak to people like Andy Griffiths, who is phenomenally successful and incredibly talented, he's always really thinking about his craft and how he can make it better and how he can reach kids and how he can be funny. And so, you know, you've got to look to those people who have achieved these, you know, phenomenally successful books that are fantastic books. I mean, we love the Treehouse stories in our family and you just have to sort of respect and emulate those people as much as you can because that's where the secret is, you know. There's a lot of secrets mm. in creativity because there are no answers. You know, someone can t- write this way and another person can write that way and there's no right or wrong, you know, and that's what's so beautiful about writing but that's why it's so hard as well because there is no straight line towards it. But I think, you know, if you look to the successful people who have have worked hard and who respect the craft and who keep honing it, I mean, that's probably the best chance that we've got. So I'm going to ask you a bit more of a, a personal question. At what point did you decide to become a writer? I've always, um, I kind of like the idea that, even if you're not published, if you've always written, you're a writer. I think there's this idea that you're only a writer when you're published. And I think, well, that's not quite true because people go running and they're runners and they're not necessarily in the Olympics, Mm. right? So it's the same thing. 
And so I've always written, as even as a kid, an avid reader, always written stories, um, English teacher. So I've always been really immersed in the craft and I've always done something creative. So I don't know for me if it's, you know, I love writing, but for me I just always have to have a little side hustle that's creative. Mm. And so when I was younger I was in a covers band, I was in an original band, then I was in fashion design, I worked in there for a bit, um, then I started the podcast. I was part of theatre groups, you know, as a kid I was an extra in commercials, all that kind of stuff. So I've always done creative things and I think they transfer with each other and so writing is just something I've always done, something I've always loved and just gives you that creative outlet because it's almost like for me if I'm doing something creative, that's what feeds me. Mm. It doesn't necessarily have to be one thing or the other. I just feel like if I'm doing something creative, that's what, you know, nourishes me as a person. So I guess the question is when did I decide to be brave and <laughs> actually submit something? That next um, step. Yeah, look, scary. it was hard. It's hard particularly when you've spoken to so many incredible writers. You know, I'd spoken to Jackie French and I was like, well, what have I got to contribute to, you know, the literary community when I've speaking, spoken to these amazing people? And I think you have to kind of get over that and go, yes, you know, Jackie French is amazing, but I don't have to be Jackie French on my debut picture book. I just have to have something to say and have to hone your craft and work really hard at doing that. And, you know, that Extraordinary Mum went through so many edits and I, I loved that because at Larrikin House we were all working towards the same goal of making the best picture book we could. It was respecting the craft and it just blew my mind how much effort went into, you know, 500 words. And so I just think that's really important and I've totally gone off the question here. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is is that, um, yeah, for me, I, I just decided to be brave. It was something, it was on my bucket list. It was kind of a fear of mine in the back of my head that was, what if I never have anything published? And it, it might sound a bit trivial to people unless you are a writer who really wants to get published. And it was, it was one of those things that I thought, if I never have a published book in my entire life, it's going to be one of those huge regrets that I take with me. <laughs> to the next life or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was actually really that huge tugging at me. And I said to myself, well, if it's going to be a huge regret, you best start submitting stuff because no one's going to magically publish you if you don't. But you just had to get over the whole I'm not good enough syndrome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, first drafts are never going to be good enough. And I've realized that's okay. You know, you keep working at it, you get feedback, you have an editor, you work with your publisher, and from what My Extraordinary Mum was to what it is now, I'm just so grateful to all the people who put in the time and the love for, you know, every word that exists in that book. So, yeah, just submit, just learn, find out about industry secrets wherever you can, talk to people, go to writers' festivals, listen to podcasts and you suddenly have so much more knowledge. You know, even with Larrikin House, they're very focused on brand. And, you know, if you don't know the brand, you're not going to get a look in, you know. But if you if you know the brand, if you're familiar with their picture books, if you've borrowed them all from the library and you've read them, you'll understand what we're looking for. We tell people, an agent said to us the other day, Larrikin House are the only people who continually tell writers what they want exactly what they want you know we're forever telling people what we want edgy push boundaries funny quirky it's not a secret for us 
um, it's so easy bigger to publishing companies. To write to a brief as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you know what yeah, someone wants, you can create that. Mm. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you do have to write what comes from your heart and soul, but it really helps to know which publishers are going to be on board with that as well, you know. And so I think you just have to arm yourself with so much knowledge and it's not just about picking up a textbook on everything you know about publishing. It's really about connecting with people. Um, every every time I go to a writer's festival, I and mean, I've been podcasting for five years now, I've spoken to authors and illustrators and publishers and agents, but every time I go to a festival and I talk to someone new, I always learn something always learn something new, always hear something different. And, you know, I think over the last five or six years, I've just really built this knowledge base that has to has to help you, you know, get published or get your next publishing deal. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and I just wanted to ask you, how important do you think building your own brand or platform as an author is? Like um, yourself and I have our podcast and other authors might have a blog or um, they might do book reviews and things like that. Do you, do you think that that's an important element of building presence in in the publishing community yeah I think you have to just get people to care about your work however you can and you know as the publicist for Larrikin House you know James is a sucker for a good story he'll be like this is a great story and it's my job to say it is a great story but you know how well known is the author do they have any presence, not just on social media, but anywhere? Are they involved in the industry? Are they willing to go to schools? What are they willing to do? Are they willing to go to bookshops? So it's a question that I'm always asking. It doesn't mean that manuscript doesn't get published, but it means that, you know, as a publicist, it's I can't say when the book comes out, I don't know how to publicise this. Like I have to have that conversation before it gets signed because it's, you know, 15 grand up front to publish one picture book. And so I'll say, you know, where does this have a parallel narrative or does this have another story that we can draw out so people will be interested in it so i think it, it is it's only one of the factors um i mean a great story will always win every time but if you've got a great story and you have some sort of a platform or a presence and you're willing to um you know go to bookshops and schools and you're willing to do lots of interviews i mean it's going to you're probably going to tick more boxes <laughs> than, than, than you haven't. And even um, I was speaking to Deborah Bella the other day and even the big, big publishing companies now I heard in 2018 they were publishing 30 children's books and this year they're publishing, I think, 15. Oh, that's not good news. No, it was, it was, sorry, it went, it went from 50, so 50 to 18 or oh, something like that. Job. Yeah, and so there's so much competition out there that you need to make sure that you're armed with knowledge. You need to make sure that you have honed your craft, that you've done every single piece of work that you can do, and then you you say, I'm going to be at every bookshop. I'm going to make this work. I, you know, I've got this parallel narrative and I've got these three other manuscripts that I, I really want to work with you on as well. You know, I think speaking to um, Claire Halifax, um, the other day at a festival I was at from Walk Books, you know, she's looking for people that want careers. Mm. You know, most publishers don't want to invest all that money in one person who's going to write one book. So that's another question that I'm always throwing to before we get to acquisitions is like, well, is this a person who has a career as a writer? 
Um, and how do we know that and how are we going to nurture that? Because it's much easier to work with an author and, and, you know, they become an established author than continuing to just publish books by, you know, one person once. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at the big booksellers, I mean, as much as we love our little bookshops, there's no denying that Big W is, you know, one of the biggest booksellers in the country. They're looking for established authors and they're looking for brand. And as a publisher, you know, you need you need to get your books into those big stores. And it's, it's kind of uncomfortable for people to talk about the business side of publishing, but that's what it is. And if, if you're not making um, money as an author for the publishing company or if you're not breaking even or you're not doing the work to attempt to, it is going to be hard to get your next publishing deal because a publisher can't continue to publish books if they're not making any money. <laughs> it costs so much money to publish them. <laughs> I have to admit, um, thinking of next year for me, because um, I, I do work full-time and I have two sons with special needs and now I'm promoting a book that's coming out in March. I'm like, ah, am I going to be everywhere? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you need to appear to be everywhere. Um I've got to say, I'm, I'm, it looks like I'm everywhere, but these interviews, they're 30 minutes. You know, yeah. I will go into a bookshop when I'm with my kids or, you know, I'll take my kids out for the day and then go, oh, we're also going to a sneaky bookshop signing, you know, and I'll do that <laughs> for 20 minutes and then I'll take them for ice cream. So although it looks like you do it, you just got to be smart with your time and, you know, do what you can, cut out the, carve out the time for it, but, you know, we are human. We, we do need to give ourselves a break. But it's it's a real balancing act because it's almost like you've got one shot at your debut book and if you don't kind of make some sort of impact, mm. I feel like it's going to impact the rest of your career. Yeah. So that's why I thought this was so important, just to get this right, to do as much as I could and to appear to be everywhere. <laughs> um, I'm at home a lot, though, Kai, podcasting yep. myself. But, well, um, I've been just seeing like, all your um, episodes coming out at the moment. I'm like, how is she doing it? It's insane. <laughs> I lined them all up. The secret was I lined them all up before I went overseas, and um, I didn't actually have to think about them for two weeks except for when I just uploaded the tiles to social media. Mm. It was such a good feeling not not having them, not having to do that for two weeks. So I'm going to try and do that from now on is just line them up weeks in advance so you actually get some time off from it. So, Because I love doing it, but it takes up, as you know, mm. an extraordinary amount of time, um, you know, doing the podcast, which I love. But I think we may have underestimated and maybe our listeners aren't aware that there's just so there's much time that goes in the background. <laughs> but that's, that's exactly like writing, mm. you know. You see the beautiful book. I mean, I think we're becoming a bit more honest as creatives now, but it's often um, you, know, you don't see that struggle and that manuscript you've written a hundred times or that paragraph you've laboured over for two days. You know, we don't see that. So I think it's really important to share the achievements as well as those challenges. And I think that's why the writing community is so supportive because we just know how bloody hard it is. You know, we know how hard it is to get a publishing deal. We know how hard it is to sell our books. We know how hard it is to get media attention. And we know how hard it is to get those words on the page that work. So I think when any of our friends who are writers get success, we're cheering on the sidelines. We're like, yes, you did it. And if you did it, that means maybe I can do it. And, <laughs> You know, let's all celebrate each other's work because we know how hard it is and, and how 
um, I guess how uncertain it is mm. as well for the next the next deal, the next book. Okay, so now um, I've got some quick fire questions just to Ooh. share with our listeners a little bit about you. What was your favourite book growing up, Danny? My favourite book growing up would have to be Charlotte's Web. Um, I'm always coming back to that, and I, I haven't read it recently, and I don't know why it resonated with me so much, but it just, it really did, and it just reminds me of childhood. I always think that children's books are time capsules. You know, they take you right back to where you were when you were a kid, so it's almost important than the story itself. It brings you back to the past. And if you could be any book character, who would it be? Oh, this is going to sound terrible, Kai, but I'd really like to experience being Oscar Wilde just for a little bit, mm. just because he did whatever he wanted. Um, there were some quite bad consequences and he did some bad things. Um, but wow, just to be free and do whatever you want without consequences and stay beautiful forever, that would be all right for a while. <laughs> um, have you got anything that you're reading right now? Uh, yes, I've just started Chris Hammer's Tilt and I'm reading Nova Wheatman's The Jammer and I'm really excited about The Jammer because I love rollerblading and this is a roller skating story, which I haven't seen, I don't think ever. So I'm looking forward to reading that and then going skating, being inspired by that. She's actually in Brisbane tonight. Actually. Is she? Yeah, With her skates on? Nova, have you got your skates on? <laughs> and the exciting thing, I recently met her at a writing conference um, and I, I was actually the person supporting her while she was delivering um, workshops to kids um, and because I was really excited because my book is about roller skating as well um, oh, and I'm wow. like serendipity we're placed together Ooh. by it like no, nobody really knew what my book is about yet um, I'm like oh my god your book is on skating so is mine how awesome <laughs> Um, oh, maybe there'll be a resurgence on skating. I hope so. I hope so too. Yeah. It's super cool. <laughs> or I just like to, I to think I'm super cool. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could invite five people, literary people, to dinner, who would they be? Oscar Wilde clearly would have to be. Five. That is generous, Kai. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, Oscar Wilde would definitely make the cut. Um, I would also invite Jane Austen because mm. as much as people think her books are romantic trash, they're actually really feminist and ahead of mm. their time. She has all these amazing, strong characters, and this wasn't done when she was a writer, so I'm going to have to invite her. Um, oh, now I've got three more. I'm just looking at my bookshelf, which is um, going to be a bit tricky here. I will invite Tim Winton just because oh, yes, um, be I've never been able to interview him and I'd really like to. So definitely Tim Winton. Um, and I'm going to invite Aaron Blaby because he's like the king of picture books and I'm hoping to uh, steal his brain. <laughs> and one more. Look, it sounds really cliche, but I'm going I have to get William Shakespeare in. Oh, maybe Margaret Atwood. Wait, that's six. Look, we'll cut Shakes out and we'll get Margaret Atwood it in because I it think she would be a, a very interesting woman. Yeah, it is. Really but I feel like I, I need to balance the genders out as well. Uh, so, yeah, we'll go with Margaret. Very cool. Okay. Now, <laughs> the, this is a very important question that the listeners would like to know. Um, which Hogwarts house are you? Oh, Slytherin. Slytherin. I'm 100% Slytherin. I'm a Hufflepuff and I just can't. <laughs> the quiz told me I was a Hufflepuff. Um, Do you not feel that? Do you not well, feel I that? Well, I think I'm also a Cancerian and I think like I keep be being typecast. <laughs> 
Okay, now I'd like you to go back to the beginning of your writing journey and tell me what sort of advice you would have given yourself. Mm, submit things earlier. Stop being afraid. Don't worry about comparing yourself to people. You do have something to contribute. And stop being, I said this already, but I'm going to say it again, just stop being afraid. Just go and do it. You know, I feel like I was just um, always hesitating and it wasn't until, you know, I'd spoken to all the publishers, I'd had the podcast for five years, I had a really supportive group of NaNoWriMo team with Tristan Banks and Adrian Beck, Christy Byrne and Julianne Negri, who I was the only unpublished author at that time when we did it. And they were just so supportive of my work and my writing. Um, all the people that I've, you know, spoken to, I've learned from and been inspired by. So... I think the advice I'd like to give everybody is just learn as much as you can and then just go for it. Don't be afraid because rejection, unfortunately, is part of the business mm. we're in. It's going to happen to all of us <laughs> um, and it's it's part of taking that rejection on board and, and thinking, okay, I need to write something again or I need to hone my craft a bit better or getting as much feedback as you can so you can keep moving forward you're always going to have you know one step forward one step back but that's what makes the achievement when you finally do get a deal so much more incredible because it's so hard <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me danny i appreciate you making time especially after your epic trip away <laughs> <laughs> well, i thought i made some sense i did have a little nap before we came on today um two o'clock p.m 2 p.m i'm finding really difficult in the afternoon because where i was in orlando that's um you know 11 p.m and sort of when i've been winding down to go to bed but 2 p.m as we know being a mum is not the time for winding down unfortunately no. <laughs> so I had a little nap and I'm going to try and push through the rest of the night and try and get back to normal. So I hope when you edit this, I've made some sort of sense at You've times. You've been fine. <laughs> and you know what? There is hope ahead. My, my sons are now 20 and 17 and they're totally all about the naps in the afternoon now. So it's like, yes, <laughs> we're finally on the same sleep schedule. Great, because my kids are still getting up at 5 o'clock. So. Oh, no. <laughs> There is hope. Thank ahead you so of you. much, Kai. Okay, thanks. I Danny. really appreciate this, and, and your questions are really interesting. So, thank you so much. You're welcome. Writing stories for children can seem like a very simple task, but there is a skill involved in bringing memorable characters and their worlds to life. Anyone can write a picture book, but not everyone can write a picture book that becomes a child's favourite bedtime story. The best children's picture books fire up their imaginations, evoke emotion, and stay within their memories forever. Authors Online was created to provide aspiring authors the knowledge, skills and resources they need to become a published children's book author. Our extensive industry knowledge will be shared with you and provide you with the basic principles behind writing for children, picture book publishing guidelines and updates on the current market and publishing environment. And as a special offer for Totally Lit listeners, if you go to authorsonline.com.au, you can apply the discount code of LIT20, that's lit two zero to access discount content at authorsonline.com.au. Totally Lit is an independent podcast. You can help support us to continue to chat with wonderful Australian creatives by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our socials with your friends. You can also make a contribution at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash totally lit. This will also help with equipment and podcasting platform fees, etc. I love to interact with our listeners, so feel free to say hello either by email or social media. 
My email is totallylitpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, Insta, LinkedIn and Twitter and in real life if you are at an event where I'm at, come and say hello. Um, I've also recently created a group on Facebook called Totally Lit Writing Community. It's a space to continue the conversation and share your writing successes, events, launches and latest projects. Jump into the group and say hello. Thank you for listening to Totally Lit and don't forget to go out into the world to read, write, create, ignite. Mm-hmm.